Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come again crying out for your help, for your mercy, for your grace. Lord, we ask that, that the Spirit might work. Father, that as we read your word and as preach, that Christ would be lifted up. That your servant would lessen. Lord, we ask that we might leave this place because of the work of the Spirit loving you more, knowing you more. We might better understand and be struck in awe at who our Savior is, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in your covenant faithfulness, Lord. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you will turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 17 this evening together. So we're in the Old Testament again. So we were last week, last Sunday evening, we looked at the, the incarnation through the promised offspring found in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, that that first announcement of the gospel that was proclaimed to us, and and we're we're moving ahead to a to an expansion of that announcement, yet still in the past, still a prophecy, still that which is being proclaimed, which we know now is fulfilled as we look at the incarnation to this prophecy given by the Old Testament prophet Nathan. King David, under the inspiration of the Spirit, one which ultimately points to the eternal King of kings, Lord of lords, King Jesus. This is God's perfect and errant word. Please follow along, listen as I read. Now therefore... Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all of your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. 
and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So I'm going to start out telling a short story from a movie that I have not seen, nor do I recommend. So I may be treading into dangerous land here. And I'm, and I'm going to have to paraphrase a little, and I may, I may twist and turn it a little bit for anyone who may have seen it. But again, I don't recommend that you do. I've read a little bit about it and had some, some folks tell me. So I think it's fitting. There's a, a comedy that came out a few years ago, and it's, it's about the world of NASCAR. And there's a, an actor in there who also plays an elf in other movies. And, and uh, there's a scene, to my understanding, in which uh, there's many people gathered together at a table. They're about to eat a meal, and, and, he, and he prays, thanks for the meal, and he ends the prayer. In the name of sweet baby Jesus. And then, from my understanding, a conversation erupts. Why? Someone asks, why would you pray to baby Jesus? And he talks about how, well, that's, that's how I see Jesus. That's, that's who I pray to. That's who I enjoy to think about. Just, just little, sweet, innocent baby Jesus laying there. And then someone else apparently speaks up and says, well, you know, I pray to tuxedo Jesus. Kind of the idea of maybe like a butler Jesus, a Jesus that would, you know, be there to, to bring you your needs, kind of uh, maybe like a genie Jesus that some look towards. And, and then I think it's a child who speaks up, and then maybe one of the last things, he says, well, I like to pray to ninja Jesus, because, you know, ninja Jesus is cool Jesus. So maybe you can see why I wouldn't recommend you find this movie and locate it, but I don't think that the director and the producers and the actors realize the lesson they're teaching here, I think they're really trying to probably most likely make fun of Christians. But instead what they do is they put on display a sad, empty, idol-making Christianity that would, that would seek to take Jesus and conform him to whatever image one wants. And I thought about this, and you may think, how in the world does this have anything to do with 2 Samuel chapter 7? Well, being in the season that we're at, there are many people who, who like the comfortable aspect. There are some people who like the comfortable aspect that they don't look upon or think about or celebrate the King of Kings and Lord of Lords coming in glory and in incarnation taking on flesh that he might accomplish the redemption of his people. But, but instead, what they like to think upon is just the, the, in their mind, powerless, weak, baby Jesus that is there. Perhaps it is an effort to, like we see in Romans 1, to build up the scabs upon their hearts, the conviction that is brought upon them by the Spirit, the reality and the truth. For when, for when there is nothing focused beyond the Jesus of one's imagination, it's a denial of the truth of who he is. And the reality that 
when we celebrate, even now, the incarnation of our Lord, our eye must be fixed upon the reality that he is the ascended ruling king of kings and that he is coming back. So as we celebrate the incarnation, we celebrate his life, we celebrate his death, we celebrate his resurrection, we celebrate that he is ruling the right hand of the Father, we celebrate that he is coming back. And when he comes, he will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. So if you look at our passage here, we, we see one that is, in some ways, complicated. There's a lot here. We're not going to unpack everything. But we are going to hit a few, few aspects that I, I do pray will be helpful in our, our understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. And will aid us in our continued worship and celebration of him. So as we look at our passage, we see as God promised that Christ came to establish and rule his everlasting kingdom for his people's good and his glory. And we're going to look at three promises. The promised, fulfill, the promised dominion, the promised kingdom, the promised king. The promised dominion. First, we'll look at the immediate fulfillment that we see here. And then we're going to look at the ultimate fulfillment. In fact, we're going to do that three times. It's like a pattern. It should be easy to follow, especially if you're taking notes. The immediate fulfillment. Several years ago, when we lived in Georgia, my boys, my two oldest boys were very little. We went to a friend's house for dinner, and it got dark, and we went outside, and they set up a what I thought was a pretty spectacular telescope. Typed in some things, and, and the telescope itself started tracking on things and moving. It was pretty wild. You could look in, and, and for the first time ever with my own eye, and not a picture I saw or a video I watched, I could see the craters on the moon. I was pretty blown away. It was a night, in fact, that we could see, we could see rings on Saturn. It was, it was pretty amazing. We use this telescope to see things that were massive, but very far away, great things. And they were brought to us that we might be able to then enjoy them and see them and understand. And, and this passage has an aspect, a telescoping aspect that we're going to look at. And that's really one of the main things we're focusing on. The telescoping promises that are put here. Yes, there's an immediate fulfillment, but we're going to also look at the ultimate fulfillment. So we open up our passage here and, and we see this promised dominion as Nathan or the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is proclaiming these things to David the king. We see immediately the Lord's providence, presence, and power on display and how he establishes David's kingdom. It is God the Lord Almighty, who establishes the Davidic line. You may have noticed it as we were reading. As God says, I took, I have been with you, I will make, I will appoint. It goes on and on. It's, I will do these things. I have done these things. God is being clear to David, beyond a shadow of a doubt, which probably is an important thing that God is clear to someone who is as powerful as a king. 
You know, perhaps it wouldn't need to be as clear to one of David's mighty men or, or even work your way down to the least of these in the kingdom. But to the king, God is clear. I am the one who has established this kingdom. God is giving his people a place to dwell in safety under the leadership and care of, of King David who is appointed by God. God is the one. So there, there is an immediate fulfillment here that, that the Lord is giving a dominion, one that has, has peace, at least for a time, a dominion for his people, for King David and his sons. But then we see an ultimate fulfillment. Remember the telescope? These great things at a distance that we're going to look at and bring a little closer Ultimately, everyone trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation will dwell with him in, in the new heavens and the new earth, the King of King and Lord of Lords dominion. It's one of the wonderful things we keep in mind that as we face life, as the Holy Spirit indwells us and we pray that he might comfort and help us in the midst of trials and difficulties, even in the midst of great celebrations that he would help us, that we might glorify God and enjoy him as we celebrate. In the midst of all this, we don't forget that that Christ, yes, we are waiting for his return. We are waiting for the ushering in of the new heavens and the new earth. But right now, Christ is the King of kings, Lord of lords, over his creation. He is the one holding all things together. He is sovereign. He is ruling. He is not impotent. He is not waiting. He is not looking to see what man will do. The Lord will plant his people in the new heavens and the new earth they might dwell with him in safety and eternal rest. Look to Revelations chapter 21. Revelation 21, looking at the, the new heaven, the new earth, starting in, in verse 1. We'll just read a few of these, moving our way through so you can see it. Verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates. 
And the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes, the sons of Israel were inscribed. And it goes on to describe the picture you see here. We're going to drop down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now there is, there's death, there's suffering, there's trials, there's hardships, there's sickness, there's injustice, there's persecution. But in the new heavens and the new earth, what we just read, what the Lord has told us, because of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's shalom, there's peace, there's wholeness for his people. That is the ultimate fulfillment of the promised dominion. A promised dominion, this dominion is part of a promised kingdom. The immediate fulfillment, if you go up a little earlier before Nathan begins to speak to David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit speaking, the words that God has told him, it goes a little farther up into verse 2. And you see David saying something that you would think, man, this is wonderful. David, a man after God's own heart, the heart he has for his God. What is it that he wants to do? He's, he's bothered by the fact that he is now resting and, and living in a house, one that is beautiful, a palace, and, and yet... And yet God in his mind is dwelling in, in a tent. And he tells Nathan, he says, I'm going to build a house for God. And at first Nathan says, yeah, it's a good deal. I like this. But then God speaks to Nathan and says, no, 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 no. Go back to David. You tell David he is not building a house for me. I am building a house for David. God says, no. Now, God uses the term house to refer to this Davidic dynasty, this kingdom that God is promising to build. Now, there's an interesting thing in, in this time in the ancient Near East that the kings, what they would do for the God they served, the gods they served, they would build temples. And building that temple, building a house for that God or for the gods, the purpose of it was to say, look at this house that I have built for you. Now that I have done my part, do your part. Establish my kingdom, protect it, that my house might be known. And God says, no, we're not even getting anywhere near that. Not that that was on David's heart, but he's like, we're not even going to step in a direction that would look that way, or perhaps could even be that way. I'm going to make it clear. God flips the script on David, just like he does with salvation. There is no way that you will do something that you can ever think you've earned this from me in salvation or this kingdom, David. You will not take and twist, manipulate me with a gift of a house that I did not tell you to build. Just like salvation, God is the one who initiates. God is the one who does. So God blesses David first. 
even though he does not deserve it, and tells him, I, I will build your house. I will build this Davidic kingdom. That was the immediate fulfillment, but even that immediate fulfillment began to, to move into the ultimate fulfillment. Back to our portion of the passage there in chapter 7, verse 13. He goes on to say that one of that your son, one of your descendants, as we know now is, is Solomon, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So there's some immediate, but there's also, even right there in reading verse 13, there's ultimate. So we see immediately, as we'll get to in a, in a few moments, Solomon, but but look at 13. Where God says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever as he builds a house for my name. The New Testament gives us a, a picture. It tells us we understand what it is, this kingdom. Second Peter 1 is one place we see this in chapter 11. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Eternal kingdom of Christ. Look at the Gospels, even as we moved our way through Luke and the other Gospels, as Dr. Wilborn is moving through John, and, and you see Christ is clear. His kingdom, the kingdom of God. It's eternal. It's different than the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom that Christ proclaims rules and ushers in, unlike David's earthly kingdom, Jesus' kingdom cannot end through the death of the king. It cannot come to an end because of the sinful actions of kings. It cannot come to an end because of the foolishness and ineptitude of a weak king. Sin cannot destroy it. Time cannot exhaust it. It is... It is the kingdom forever. It is the kingdom that needs a king. So as we see the promised dominion, the promised kingdom, and now we come to the the promised king. Of course, there's the immediate fulfillment I already mentioned and, and touched on. After David, the second most important earthly Jewish Israelite king is Solomon. Solomon is the one that is told to build the temple. Solomon is the one who brings a, almost like a, a, a Jewish Pax Romana, a great peace. As David was the one that began, God used him to, to bring things together. It was, it was truly Solomon that it went to the next level for this earthly kingdom of Israel. A time that will never be met humanly speaking, in an earthly sense in that kingdom again. It is the high water mark. And God promises to establish an eternal king through David, despite the sinful kings. You read through the, the Old Testament, you just see that. It's even starting with David, sinful disasters. Then you move to Solomon, and there's still sinful disasters. And then we get into the split of the kingdom and it just 
It's like heartbreak after heartbreak. But even despite all this, God shows his covenant faithfulness. And then there's the ultimate, back to our telescope that we've been looking at and talking about. Another glimpse in the Old Testament of of this promised king that we see here promised. We we turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We've read it a lot. We sing it. Isaiah chapter 9. In verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness, From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's even a a greater, clearer revealing in this prophecy of who the Lord Jesus Christ is, who the Messiah is, the God-man, the King of kings and Lord of lords who will sit upon the eternal throne. The ultimate fulfillment of the promised King. Again, we see in verse 14, I'll be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. And and this is another another part in here where where we get this immediate and ultimate. They're tied together. There's one commentator and a few sentences here, a little technical, but I think helpful. Of this promise descendant of David, the Lord said, I will be his father and he will be my son in verse 14. Although some Old Testament interpreters suggest this may refer to an otherwise unreported practice whereby an Israelite king was ritually adopted by the deity upon assumption to the throne, the New Testament writers accepted the claim literally. Jesus is unambiguously understood in the New Testament to be the son of God. You can look at Mark 1 1, John 20 31, Acts 9 20, Hebrews 1 5, a few places that you see that. An understanding fostered by Jesus' virgin birth. So we read in Luke 1, verse 32. So again, we didn't unpack everything in this passage. As we were looking at it, as we were hitting the, the high marks, particularly in this season as we celebrate the incarnation of our Savior, I don't want anyone to miss something. Don't miss the inevitability of this promise. This is not a wish. Nathan does not come before David and say, If Yahweh is able to outwit the gods of your enemies. We hope, our greatest desire and wish is that this might happen. That's not what happens. That's not what Nathan says on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Actually, instead what he does, he comes up and says, hey, this is a slam dunk. This is a done deal. And just to put you in check, King, I mean, respectfully, these are God's words, not mine. Uh, 
This is a lot bigger than you even realize. This this eternal king that's coming that will sit on the eternal throne in the eternal kingdom overseeing the eternal dominion, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And we are all left to bow before him. Christian, this is, this is the king we serve. This is the king who loves you, protects you. This is the king who nourishes you and, and tends to you as his sheep, who cares for his church as his bride. This is the king who builds his church. This is the king that we love and serve. As we looked at the, the promised dominion, the promised kingdom, the promised king, I remember that God promised Christ came to establish and rule his everlasting kingdom for his people's good and for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you. Thank you that you are an infinite God, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, that you spoke space and time into existence, that there is nothing greater than you. So, Lord, we fall before you. We are thankful that we are held tight in your grasp. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.